Welcome to the show, everybody. Talking a lot about vaccines today. A touchy subject for a lot of people. And I just want to thank my guests so much for making a return visit. And all my guests that have come on here uh, to talk about COVID have been so generous with their time. And, you know, we don't talk about this really on the on the show. Uh, so I just wanted to share some kind of behind the scenes stuff that happens just so you know how much I appreciate. And I hope it makes you appreciate what uh, these uh, uh, what these scientists that are working to make the world a better place are are doing and, and just how generous they are to come on some dumb comics podcast. And I can tell you from having a science podcast for six and a half years now that never, never in, in, in the entire, you know, other than, you know, maybe science not being people's cup of tea and wanting it to be funny or something like that because they're expecting, because I'm a comedian, I'm going to be like wacky punchlines the whole time or something like that. And it's not what they expect. Outside of that, never get any... I've never gotten any, um, this butterfly researcher, they don't know they're butterflies. You, (laughs) they don't know anything about aerodynamics. Never, never once. But when there's a problem that requires us having to confront reality, so, so much of this is just done in the background. You don't have to worry about, you don't have to be mindful of, of so many of, of the uh, uh, what goes into uh, putting together something like a vaccine, to analyzing the data of COVID and and figuring out uh, you know long term effects and and things like that, and trying to make the world a better place. And until that confronts people, all of a sudden it's weird, it's different, it's 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 it, it's uh, something that they actually might have to take action. All of a sudden, people that normally don't, you know, never taken a uh, bothered to listen to this show previously or taken an online course for themselves or had any interest in science, all of a sudden they become experts in a hurry. And I don't, I'm not blaming people. I am frustrated. You know, at this point, I'm a year in and I'm frustrated. I'm going to be uh, frank with you because uh, these people are my heroes. And and they're, if I have Barrett Klein on again to talk about insects, it's like people will love it until there's some insect that like inconveniences you in some way. Then you're going to be like, this guy doesn't know anything about ticks. And that's what people, not, I don't mean you, but some a small portion of people will react in that way. And I bring it up because these poor people get harassed and everything constantly for all this. No, no one, no one was, uh, uh, you, you know, uh, when my guest is like working on sepsis, ma- making the world a better place, trying to help treat diseases, uh, no, no one's ever like, oh, what do they know? And what are the, what are those mad scientists up to? But all of a sudden a global pandemic happens and, uh, and people get real touchy about these issues. And all of a sudden people that have a lot of catching up to do, people that don't understand simple, basic concepts about evolution, about viruses, things that, things that are like, you know, 
you can get up to speed. Any, I, I believe people are fully capable. I, I don't think it's a smart or dumb thing. I think people can get up to speed in a hurry if if they cared and if they put a little time into it. And uh, I think I'm proof of that. I don't I don't think I'm some genius. Uh, you know, I, I I think that I I hopefully do a nice job of making this accessible for people so that anyone can understand um, some of these concepts. And yeah, there's a little bit of jargon here and there in this episode. But, you know, you don't even have to worry that much about that. You don't need to know every single word. But just just, you know, listening to some of the basic concepts. And I say all this because if you're watching this episode all of a sudden and you're uh, you're finding yourself feeling combative and and uh, getting upset by um, some of, of uh, the research, but all of the other episodes, you know, you're totally fine with then, you know, it might be time for a look inward. We all need one from time to time, and I might have biases, and maybe I'm just a big gullible goof, and this is some uh, part part of the Illuminati's evil plot is to have any academic that I reach out to gladly give me their time and explain things in a clear way on a show. Um, you know, that could be the case. But, uh, you know, I'm a big believer in the scientific method, and although it's not perfect, and although no scientist is perfect, it's, I'm a lot more suspicious of regular old human bias, regular old people wanting to kill the messenger, people wanting to just wish, think, and believe their own reality. We all do it. My God, I could share abysmal career in life choices that I've made in my life. You know, there's no one's perfect here. Uh, I, I, I can rattle off mistakes I've made uh, constantly. And I just need to say all of this because not only are people that are working on COVID, they're not benefit they're working more hours than they were before covid they're dealing with more they're not getting you didn't get a raise they didn't my guest today didn't get a raise when covid happened she got pulled off of what her important work is and uh and it, you know has had to increase the number of hours that she works on this all while dealing with the number of things that we many of us have to deal with which is like Having to now uh, have her kids there all of the time, and not have uh, not have free space, and record this podcast in her garage. Well, hopefully my editor was able to get some of it out of there. But there's, you know, you can hear kids banging around upstairs and and everything else. And and you know, I I just hope that uh, you know a year into this, hopefully we can start resetting some of these things and start cooperating a little more that might be a little naive and also i'm preaching to the choir with this because i know i know that you guys i mean the people that listen to this show already get it and you guys are great and but i don't i don't know how else to say this i wish i could tell all of the you know the people that um get fired up on social media because i'll you know watch i'll put a i'll put a highlight on instagram um from this episode just like i do with every other episode and just watch just look at the comments for it it's ridiculous 
and and anything covid related and and this is you know these not even johnny come latelys to science just people that aren't don't even don't even care just believe in the most fringe possible beliefs want to think they're scooby doo or something and crack in the case and uh, that that no one else has figured out and they're smarter than everyone else and I'm, I, you know, I'm at my wit's end, and I'm, I'm running out of patience. I'm sure people on all sides are running low on patience with, the, with a lot of things. But uh, when it, when it comes to my, my guests, you guys can, like, you know, send me a, send me a DM, and, uh, and you can write whatever you want um, about me. Which, it, I mean, again, this is like I'm talking to the wrong people. Uh, right now, this is what I wish I could say to all of all of the uh, people that will like see a highlight and like fire off whatever alarms and start sending me crap about Illuminati nonsense. And I wanted to say all this, and I know this is a long intro, just because one, I think this is interesting. I think that I think that you should know more of this stuff. I don't even share a lot of the behind the scenes conversations that I have with these guests but if you heard some of these stories i mean it's it's hard it's hard to uh you know it's hard to be patient i i don't know how they have so much patience to be honest i wouldn't i get fired up just hearing some of the stories and so i hope you appreciate that i and i hope that you appreciate the time and i hope that when you're in public and and uh and you know people are people are bringing up these issues i hope that you are able to utilize some of this information that we share on this show um, so that you can, you know, try to have a conversation uh, with like anti-vaxxers and, and stuff and maybe inform them a little bit more. I hope it's helpful. I, I mean, <laughs> this, this isn't, you know, again, I, it, it wouldn't it be weird if like you liked my podcast for this all this time, trust my understanding of science and I, I'm sure, you know, I let some nonsense slip through from time to time, and there's lots of different takes on on lots of different fields. But I I think that I've probably, hopefully, I've established that I care about getting uh, good information out to people. That this is a passion project that I love doing, and uh, and that like it would be weird for me to like part of the Illuminati's plan was to have like a kid get the idea to become a stand-up comedian to then like uh, get some breaks as a stand-up comedian and then kind of like want to do more interesting things and think about life more and start investigating how the mind works and just start reaching out to academics and start building relationships and start caring more about it and seeing life in a different way and and uh, being sometimes a little evangelical about it and then but then this episode, like, oh, but then an episode about vaccines, it was all just a build up to get you to get the microchip in you. You know, this is the kind of ridiculous stuff that you would have to think if you really think through what would have to happen just for the smallest little bits of stuff like this uh, uh, to happen. Um, and and so uh Again, uh, I, 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 I'm, I'm talking, I'm not talking about you guys. 
I'm venting to you guys because I because what people do write me all the time, what I appreciate is that this podcast makes them feel sane in a crazy world. And I, I'm so happy to hear that because this world is insane, because people are insane, because people think they know more than they do about things that they've never even bothered looking into or had a passing interest in. And all of a sudden, uh, they're some expert. So um, I, I hope that's what this podcast does for you, because, you know, this is real. This is a real, uh, this, this, this is like, you know, some, some of these podcasts that I have, you might hear something about like volcano research and it might not ever, um, apply to your life in any way other than, uh, interesting conversation at a party. You're not anywhere near a volcano. You don't need to think about it. Okay. Right. But, uh. You know, this is a this is just a different level of of importance, and um, and so also those of you that are awesome and have cared about COVID and have taken an interest in all this stuff, I hope that it's not too redundant or you've heard a lot of these things um, before, because I try not to dwell on the subject too much. So I so I just uh, try to get updates um, every couple months and uh, and not not obsess. Um, too much about it and just get what I need to know to plan out my life and hopefully help you plan your life out. And this was a monologue. I have a hard time. When do you stop talking? Right now. That's when. You guys are great. Enjoy this episode. It's a really fantastic one. Um, so <laughs> all this build up and it's not a boy. This is putting way too much pressure on my guest. She's just a chill, awesome lady. Uh, who's great at conveying all these things, and uh, and now I'm now I'm putting way too much unnecessary amount of pressure on her. But you guys are gonna like this episode. I know it. It's a real good one. So enjoy. And if you do want to support the show, hit me up on Patreon. I'm down selling stuff. I'm not gonna sell you supplements and all the other crap. We talk about that. I'm, I'm too frustrated with with people being peddled nonsense all the time. And so I do believe in myself. I'll sell myself as a product. If you want to go on Patreon, I'm I'm doing a I'm doing a, a focus group for a new comedy podcast that I'm going to have uh, too. So I'll talk about that at the end of the show. Are we? Yes. Where are we? Here. Why are we here? Not entirely clear. We are misfits thrust into existence by random chance with no hints at all as to how we're supposed to make sense of it all. It's immensely bizarre. Here we are. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Here We Are podcast. Today, I am talking with return guest, Jessica Brinkworth is joining me. Jessica, I was going to first have you introduce yourself. Otherwise, I'll just screw up everything <laughs> and do it all wrong and do titles wrong. So that's just how I do things. It's uh, and and then I'm going to introduce us, our our history, which started about a year ago at yeah. this time. Of of uh, normally, it would just be like, "Hey, here's someone that's." coming on the podcast again for a second time but i feel like i feel like there's history like the uh, uh, like 
we started for the first we talked for the first time right at the beginning of this madness and yeah we're now, pandemic buddies yeah. <laughs> we're, that's, that's our whole relationship is so far been defined by the pandemic <laughs> Um, so I'm uh, Jessica Brinkworth. I'm an assistant professor at the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign. I'm in the Department of Anthropology, and I study the evolution of the human immune system. I specifically look at, I ask the question of why do people get sick, and I focus on severe infections. So most of my work is focused on sepsis, which is um, a profound immune response to a profound infection of any stripe. So uh, I've been busy. <laughs> <laughs> since very early 2020 so we had a little bit of a weird thing because we recorded and then i lost the files and then you still had the files and but i was at the beginning i was like i'm gonna record and this is so interesting and i'm gonna try to put out a podcast every other day and um, my editor couldn't keep up it was a whole thing and by the time I got around to finally releasing ours months had gone by and you were like oh it's changed a bunch why don't we just record another one so we did that it was all terrific but one of the downsides is the listeners didn't get to here there's not the record of all of the <laughs> predictions that you made at the time because you were timeline wise you're probably the most accurate of anyone that i talked to everyone that i've talked to on the show i've been super grateful for and it was like so it, it, it was uh, you know i've had amazing guests um but you were toward the side of you know longer duration of things right from the get-go you were like I, I'm not even sure you said it when we were on the air for the first time. You just told me personally afterwards when yeah, I was yeah, like, hey, how do I got to plan my life? And you were like, ah, this is going to be two years yeah. pretty easily. And um, and hopefully the vaccine, you know, you had your kind of fingers crossed and uh, and then had you on in, in June and stuff. And so uh, so basically, I mean, I, I got to think that considering that timeline that you initially gave me, you have to be somewhat happy vaccine-wise. You, you, you seemed a little unsure about the vaccine. Like, you were, you were kind of like two years, and that's wishful thinking with the vaccines. I imagine the vaccines probably at least matched your expectations, if not surpassed them. Yeah, so uh, the approvals for emergency use in the U.S. came kind of ahead of where I thought they would. I thought that we'd get like an approval in January and it came earlier than that. And that was, that was very, very impressive. One of the reasons for that was that there'd been a lot of groundwork made in advance of coronavirus even emerging just on mm -hmm. the kind of technology. And it had been um, successfully used in um, trials for other things. And so, and experiments for other things. And so, um, so it went through really, really fast. Uh, also, emergency use authorizations are fast by the, the speed of them, but they were able to recruit quickly, too. So for Pfizer and Moderna, each one of those studies is about 45,000 people. Um, Moderna is definitely 44,000. That's uh, they were able to recruit all of those people like very, very early on and then, you know, collect data over like 
at three and six month time points and like one week in 28 days in, et cetera. And their retention was also really high. Both of these things are not like, these are problems in clinical trials. And so uh, just the way it was managed, it was managed exceptionally well. It went in, it was approved very quickly. Um, the data looked really nice. And yeah, it, that was something that was a real pleasant surprise. The rollout was predictable under like a non-existent federal plan. Yeah. So that, that was, <laughs> and so the rollout right now is actually where I am is happening in a very, it's still very piecemeal, but it's becoming more cohesive. Yeah. Um, and it's happening here where I am very quickly. So like they took all the, te- where I am currently located a couple of weeks ago, the, um, the school board scheduled two days for all the teachers to be vaccinated and all of the teachers were vaccinated over this two day period. And then I think they had like six people who had to withhold or something. And then the next, you know, the next month they're like, okay, we're in for our second shots. And they, they reorganized the school week around two days for the teachers to get done. And then, yeah. So that, that's pleasant. I really wasn't expecting that. There's been some good surprises in what's been a pretty rough time. But I was going to say another thing that's changed is that I kept, I think I said this before, like scientists are a pain in the butt, right? Because they just keep revising. (laughs) based on new information. Um, and I think that I had said, be prepared to be like in place in one way or another. Things are not going to be normal for at least a year or two years is when we're going to start to see some alleviation. I revised a lot of my feeling, like a lot of my ideas about this over the course of the summer and fall. And I think we're looking, it's a three to five year phenomenon. Uh, and there are things that will never go back to normal, right? And I think we've all sort of come to terms with that now. Um, but there are certain things that will never go back. Like we probably will be masking for a very long time, if not indefinitely, um, under certain circumstances. And so, what are the yeah. certain circumstances? So you're not you're not a COVID zero person. You you just don't think that that's no, I don't, that's not going to happen. No, I think okay. that we're going to hit some point where we have an acceptable number. It, this is a really cold way of saying it, but the, we hit an acceptable number of deaths every year, like we do with the flu, right? So the flu. In the United States, on average, every year, it's thirty to 40,000. If you start to tick up over 40,000, then it becomes an issue of concern. You can see those numbers, too, because flu migrates in a very predictable pattern every year across the globe. And so usually we get a heads up it's going to be a bad year because Australia got nailed earlier in the year or something like that. The numbers, if they tick up close to 60,000, that's considered pretty bad. Um, and so I think that that's where we're going to be. Like, there's going to be an acceptable number below this number. Yeah. And above it, that's a problem. Can you get to that acceptable number eventually without masks? No. So right now, all the vaccines that are on the market um, in the United States, right? So there's three. There's BioNTech, Pfizer, Moderna, Niad, and those two are messenger RNA vaccines uh, that are a two-shot deal, right? And then um, there's Johnson & Johnson, which is a one-jab adenovirus-based vaccine. This is a virus that's delivering the package to you. And... Um, and making your cells make proteins that then your immune cells respond to. The first two are approved uh, on data that says this will prevent moderate symptoms of coronavirus. It's not going to prevent mild symptoms. It doesn't prevent infection. It's indicated at the moment with the data that we have, moderate infection or moderate symptoms will be prevented. Is it the is it the case that 
they just don't know yet because there hasn't been the studies for uh, for the for the lesser things or is it the case that we we definitely know it will not prevent infection in any way right okay so so before i answer that let me just say johnson and johnson is for severe complications so that the, so the standard there is that you can still get moderately sick so for a vaccine so at the very basics of it right for a vaccine to be effective like the proof positive is that you get infected by something and your B cells and T cells that have memory for it develop a response that beats the hell out of it and it gets kicked out. The infection still has to happen. It might be very short. It might only, it may only last a couple of hours, but they beat the hell out of it and it's gone. Um, but it, it, in this particular case, that's the data that they had and the way that they did the trial. So it could be that we get more data and it, it you know, and they're following people that were still in this trial for a much longer period of time. So it could be that we get more information about it. But the way that they set up the trials was as uh, what they call, um, it's a double blinded. So nobody knew what they got. They had two groups, one group that got a placebo and one group uh, who got the vaccine. The placebo group was supposed to serve as a natural infection group. Like those people wandered around and did their own thing, followed, you know, led their lives, and they were tested repeatedly to see if they were, like if they acquired um, SARS-CoV-2, uh, the virus that causes COVID, and same with the other group. And they got data back on like, 150 or something for, I can't remember if it was Pfizer or Moderna, but they got a very low number of people came back in the placebo group that got infected. And about 11 in the other group were exposed. And that's how they made these decisions. So um, as these group, now everyone who was in that original cohort that was placebo was later given the vaccine. So the only way to get information on efficacy around severity is going to be to either follow enormous cohorts of people who have been vaccinated um, and, and, and study them and see if you see variations in titer and variations in symptoms, or it's to continue to keep getting groups of people who have not been vaccinated and see how they respond under similar living circumstances and things like that. So it could be that over time we get more information. But it's, it's, a, it's a tricky thing. It's not... Um, it's not ethical to jab a person with something that you can't recover them from, right? So you can't give these humans an, a you know, SARS-CoV-2 and then see what happens. And so right, the controls right, right. around it are really sticky. So at the time, for the time being, we know it's moderate. It could be a really long time before we find out anything else. Yeah, so, uh, so some of the some of the early some of the speed of the early approval was just the the how much covid there was around too right so the yeah. the control and the experimental group it was you would have normally had to wait say 5 years or whatever for enough right. ebola cases to pop up so this is i i mean not to say no one has a point to be made but the the number one thing that i hear people say is that they're worried about oh this vaccine was rushed or whatever and no. I, and I have like a copy and pasted thing that I know like every time someone says that. So like, well, here's actually what happened just so you know. And a lot of times people just, 
a lot of times people had never thought about, I mean, I had never thought about the idea of like, oh, there was just a huge sample size because of how, how much COVID there was going around. And this is part of why the U.S. led the world in speed, because we also led the world in cases. Oh, and- my God. Yeah. U.S. and the U.K., right? Yeah. So that that's exactly it. We had a large natural experiment. I mean, it's awful, but that's... We yeah. had a, an excess of data that allowed us to get this statistical information um, quickly. The The other thing that's worth mentioning is that the components of Pfizer, Moderna in particular, are pretty, like, it's polyethylene glycol. It's, the, it's basically an mRNA vaccine, right? It's like a little piece of modified messenger RNA, uh, which your cells can read and make proteins based on what it says. And then um, it's covered in polyethylene glycol and some other, potentially some other proprietary lipid thing. The reason why I'm saying potentially is because Pfizer and Moderna's vaccines are hypothetically the same, right? Like they've got the same coating around the outside, but, um, but Pfizer's has to be ultra cold and Moderna's doesn't. And so mm. there's probably some proprietary information there. And then, of course, the sequence is on spike, but it's also proprietary because it's not the whole of the spike protein. There's probably some segment, some epitope that's not changing very much. And so, um, but PEG, right, the polyethylene glycol, that's something that, like, is in lots of other vaccines. And it's known to make people not feel so great sometimes <laughs> when they have, um, when they get a, when they you know, get a shot and stuff like that. And other than that, it's like the mRNA and some saline and like a stabilizer. It has very little in it. And so um, the safety and uh, the quality of this, of the components that are in there are pretty well, the safety is established by the trial, the quality is established by looking at the purity of the components, and the efficacy is established by the trial. And so it's a pretty straightforward um, vaccine. It's not rushed. Uh, the technology was in development for well over a decade. And yeah. it's just an issue of putting a certain sequence into it. That's, uh, could you talk about that? Some of the history of uh, what were some of the other things that it was successfully used on? Um, so to my knowledge, this is the first time that an mRNA vaccine has been specifically used against a, a viral infection. The, the motivations for making this were in part SARS in the early 2000s, but also a couple of other uh, conditions for which delivering mRNA that would live temporarily in a cell could be seen as convenient. So it was discovered, I don't know, in the early 2000s that you could throw mRNA of any sort into a cell and it would be red. Under certain conditions, if it escaped immunity of the cell, it would be red and a protein would be made based on that sequence. So the first thing that had to be worked out was like, okay, how are we going to deliver it so that it's efficiently delivered? Because in a human, you can't just go in and like try to nail it into individual cells. So the very first thing was, okay, well, why don't we just put it inside a little ball of fat or something that will bind to the bilipid layer on a muscle SL and see what happens. And so that was one way that it got in. It basically mimics viral binding. And it, you know, the two little bits of lipids, some of the muscle cells, some of the vaccine. 
bind together, it shoots in. And then after a while, they had to work on, okay, well, the mRNA is getting eaten up because the cell has its own immune system that sees this mRNA as like a bad thing. So then they had to cap it and change like little sequences in it so that it reads as this is us. Um, and so to my knowledge, based on all of that, that that technology was being developed in NIAD and by a small company called BioNTech. I remember reading about it like I don't know, 2016 that the motivation for NIAD to do it was that they were convinced that, um, especially with this resurgence of Ebola, that they were always going to have to have a vaccine that you could simply pop a sequence into. Um, and that that would be the fastest, simplest way to get a vaccine on the market. Because traditional vaccines either require that you have an attenuated virus or an attenuate, you know, that you have something that you've weakened that's alive and causes a live infection. Or the other option is to sit down and um, try to isolate little components at high, high purity and then figure out what the therapeutic dose for that's going to be. Enough to get an immune response, not enough to kill somebody. And mm-hmm. so um, that's a lot of work, and it takes, like, development of those sorts of vaccines takes a really long time. And so around 2016 is when I first started reading more about the fact that NIAD was, like, doubling down on, on doing this, and there was a company that had been spun off called Moderna. I've not seen messenger RNA vaccines used. Um, I don't come across them in my work other than that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. So that, that's the extent of what I got for you there. Um, I, I know that there was talk no, about them being amazing. used for cancer. Uh, What's but up? there was talk about them being used for things like cancer. And in the early 2000s, um, a lot of work instead was put into things like um, so the ahead of mRNA vaccines. In the early 2000s, the hot thing was adenovirus and lentivirus vaccines. So you take like adenovirus, like a common cold. Um, you cut out a bunch of genes so it can't self-replicate and you start popping in the stuff that you want a cell to express. And that's what the Johnson and Johnson vaccine is. Now that's been used, um, in an experimental context and in limited trials, it's been used for like resolving, um, there's attempts to cure HIV using stuff like this and there's, uh, resolving certain cancers, um, Skid, uh, so this is a severe um, immunity, like immunodeficiency that some kids are born with. There was a recent, um, two years ago maybe, successful set of treatments using a lentivirus, so that's like HIV, but they cut out the virulence genes and the ability to, um, yeah, sorry, to, to be virulent, and they pop in what they're interested in changing. And so that had been used with a mix of like immunosuppressive drugs and um, successfully altered the patient's immunity so that they no longer have skid. So there's there's technologies that circle around this and um, that have been, you know, used for other things, but not specifically to my knowledge. And it could be that I just am missing this knowledge, not the mRNA. Mm. So... I I read just you'll have to forgive me because I'm so bad with names. Um, but I I read recently about smallpox and and when it was first the inoculation process was first discovered by some some woman some anthropologist from Europe went to some what what some other country it, 
because they had a a small, a, a really, really small number of of smallpox. And do you know the story that I'm talking about? No. Um, well, then I'll just talk like I know what I'm talking about. Then. <laughs> I, so, so ba- basically, the as I understood it, Europe thought of this place as like you know a third world country or whatever, or like these savages or whatever. Some female anthropologist goes there, uh, sees that they're doing this inoculation process, taking uh, taking smallpox, putting it in like some pus in an avocado or something like that. This bizarre procedure of introducing this virus in small quantities into people brings it back to wherever she was in Europe, and there was a lot of reluctance against it for, one, it's this strange, like, scary-seeming counterintuitive thing. Uh, Two, this was like these savages or these third-world countries, not, you know, not these fancily-dressed European intellectuals doing this stuff. This uh, this is like tribes and stuff kind of doing this. And um, and then also she it was a, a female, uh, uh, you know, uh, presenting this idea, and so it took a while to basically they uh, so, someone ended up working it out. So it was you know an injection rather than cutting someone open. So it was like slightly less invasive, and it was like a male kind of uh, rebranded the vaccine and then finally it started getting introduced into the public more well anyway this whole from the time um this woman brought this solution back to europe to the time it was publicly adopted it took about 70 years and so if you think about the number of lives and everything like that 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 would have been saved in that time and i you know deal with I, I talk with a lot of different people. I have like all of my relatives that I communicate the most with are are um, are like mega people. My I you know I'm I'm in kind of the psychedelic community, and so I I hear a lot of new agey conspiracy theorists and stuff all of the time, and it's you know it's frustrating, uh, and it's and I wonder how. You know, it's it's like a behavioral economics situation. It's one thing to be an economist and be like, well, well, here's obviously how you spend money this way. Just right. look at the spreadsheet. And then, but, you know, introduce those ideas to the human condition. And that's just simply not how humans are always going to be, be behave. And I swear, like... If it if it weren't for having to opt into something and having to like jab someone in the needle or whatever, if they did something that if they put like an opiate or something in there or like told guys it would give them better erections or something like that, <laughs> they, like, they might buy into it. Uh, yeah, uh, and I was gonna say there's a whole bunch to. I have so many thoughts about everything you just said, but you were well, going to make a concluding yeah, sentence. Well, yeah, go. That's why I, that's <laughs> some of the conversation that I just want to get started, and right, I have okay. a zillion questions to so, ask you about I, this. I think first off, and uh, so 
I think we had this conversation, one part of this conversation last time, because I remember talking about Andrew Wakefield. Yes, um, that's right. why I brought it up to you. Yeah, I t- yeah. I've told so many people about, and I looked into it more since then. It was it was worse than what you presented. Yeah. What, what you presented <laughs> was was like a glowing version of Andrew Wakefield. It who gets so much worse. Pop- yeah. Popularized the idea of aut- autism and vaccine link that screwed up all this. The harm that he's perpetuated is just. It's and untold. he just goes around like um, Johnny Appleseed of measles. Every city he goes to, it just pops up everywhere he goes, it, and he just he just goes and finds he finds groups of of like uneducated um, people and targets them to get them to take stop taking vaccines. And he targets people who are in need. That's one yeah. of the things that I think is like the most reprehensible about him, right? Because yeah. it's not about them; it's about him yeah and yeah. that i mean that's and that's something that's like from the very beginning is i think comes out in his like history but um what i was going to say was so i think that when the the sentiment around this started to grow in the late 1990s that there was a missed a major missed opportunity on behalf of just about every federal government in high income nations to handle it that there was very little effort that was put into public service announcements. There's very little effort in, in the sections of government that I was in, in any case, where this was relevant, um, in investigating it because the the attitude was like, how could someone possibly believe that, right? It's similar. There's a, there is a not insignificant flat earth movement, right? And the when someone first said that to me, my immediate response was, how could someone possibly believe that, Right. For a whole government to take that approach is, um, I think, and for to, to do it for a very long time, like to not be able to get their hands on it, to not figure out how they're going to communicate safe information, um, is uh, to not think about optics around some of the decisions that they were making. What is the, you know, and how that's being presented so that, you know, they can maintain the public trust. And I get that most uh, governments and high income nations are just up against some really bad history as well so like you can so apparently um trust in government has been degrading since the nixon administration (laughs) like that's that's it's a steady decline uh with a few bumps up here and there and so for them to not right and to not get their handle their hands on it for 20 years is is um is is a huge colossal failing but um in terms of Okay, so one of the first things you said, so in terms of like, what's the good way to do this? We don't actually know, truly, we're only a year in, so we don't really truly know what the long-term effects of getting this infection asymptomatically are. We do know a couple of things already, which are pretty disturbing, including that a number of asymptomatic young, young people, and this is a repeated finding, come out with myocarditis. So inflammation of the heart tissue, not a good thing to have. That's something that predisposes you to dysfunction down the road. Um, there's other things as well, uh, that may be in play. So because this infection can, um, mount to start to approach severity while the symptoms appear to be catching up. And that was something that was noted early on in the pandemic, um, in reports out of New York city where people were coming in saying, I'm having a little bit of trouble breathing. And then we're like literally on the floor, in a couple of hours in the ER, right? Um, 
and, and needed to be taken to the ICU. So there's, in some cases, uh, there's a general trend of like not being, not being aware of how bad those symptoms are getting. Um, and so given, and given that you can approach severity and severity in this particular uh, infection in- involves a lot of widespread clotting, that's true of a lot of severe infections. <laughs> that's, a, that's a classic antimicrobial response. Oh my God, there's something in here, we have to stop it. And so, you know, there's lots of clotting that happens in an effort to stop that. That can lead to m- things that may appear somewhat minor, but are actually kind of serious, like, um, you know, in the long run, like, you know, organ damage. And so, uh, especially in and around the kidneys are, are things that are often susceptible to these sorts of like, um, infections because of clotting. And so I think the idea of mixing kids up in a room as a means of getting, well, they'll all get the COVID and then it'll be fine and they'll be over it is dangerous because we don't know. And that's just for the variants we were talking about this time last year, where we assumed that most of the strains that were around were pretty homogenous, that it was something that was not mutating very quickly. Under, uh, we know that there are at least three variants that are serious right now that have been um, identified by wealthy nations. So the one out of Brazil was identified in Japan. Um, the one in the UK, and then there was one identified in South Africa that was picked up on the outside. So I think it was picked up in the US. I can't remember where it was detected, but it's out of South Africa. We just know those three. I cannot emphasize strongly enough how bad the viral forecasting and surveillance is in the United States. The wealthiest nations in the world, bad viral, like, sequence collection and analysis. It's just the, we lost a year worth of data. And so we're kind of just catching up. It's very individual across states. It's just not been cohesive. And so um, we don't know what's been born here. And we've had a lot of infections. So we know that there's uh, there's been reports in the last couple of weeks about how there's a couple of appear to be a couple of dominant strains, but those are out of like universities that are looking at like a subset of data. And so, um, so hopefully we get more information on that. But the point is there could be very serious things that are circulating here that go beyond just the three that get talked about a lot. And we don't know what the implications of those are. Um, and I guess then the last thing is we also don't know how long this immunity lasts. So, uh, most beta coronaviruses, because B cell responses are really easy to measure by an antibody titer, we tend to focus on those. And so if you go in, you want to see if your mumps, measles, rubella vaccine is still viable, your doctor is going to take a serum sample and then they're going to say, oh, look, you got antibodies for it still. So you're good. Or you have this many, so you're okay. Or you have this many, so you need another shot. But, um, you know, and that would be from the last time you got MMR, which might be when you were like, 13 or something. Um, so we know that for SARS, so back to 2002 2000, to 2004, that that antibody titer drops off to just about nothing after three years. That's a limited number of cases because there was only ever a couple of thousand cases of SARS. And it's assumed to have been burnt out. But they also see it in model organisms when they infect them with SARS as well, models, but like primate models when they um, infect them with SARS. And so we don't know how long this lasts. So why not take the option of the little mRNA in the little ball of fat 
that's going to make you feel bad for a couple of days just because mounting an immune response makes you feel bad and not risk all these other things. So that's the... And, and, <laughs> like, and mounting an immune response feeling bad, wouldn't that be closer to, like, you know, it, it got really warm here in um, in in Wisconsin um, in the last few days. I I got to go out and play pickleball um, for the, which is like mini tennis. Uh, yeah. And it, it's, it's the first time that I've gotten to play um, since fall. And I'm my muscles are sore from it because my muscles are building, and and it isn't isn't it more which is different than like a pain of uh, tearing your uh, tearing some tendon or something like that. Oh my god! Or, you know, yeah. like having some injury. Yeah, yeah. Is it isn't this kind of like what we're talking about here with an, an immune your immune response is it's it's a discomfort, right? It's not something like attacking your body. It's not, you're not, ha you're not being damaged. For from... most people, the yeah. response will involve some chills and some myalgia like muscle pain. Um, and maybe, cause it takes a lot of energy to mount a, a response. It might involve like some foggy brainness, some headaches and stuff like that. It's not gonna be acute respiratory distress syndrome. And so given that you don't know if that's the way your COVID would progress, it's, yeah, it's the, it's the difference between rupturing both your Achilles tendons and then maybe tearing all of your glutes and then maybe slipping a couple of discs and concussing yourself and possibly bleeding out. Those are the <laughs> options, right? Like it's, it's, that's, that's how this goes. Like the, the severe, this, um, the severe manifestation of COVID is awful. It's not like it, the, you know, it's, the likelihood of coming out of ARDS not damaged. So there's consequences to surviving the severe version of this too, right? That no, that we talk a little bit about right now, but will become, I think, increasingly a, a point of focus. But there's there's implications to surviving it. That, Why not bypass it? That's the whole thing. Is that I can't. I so that's another thing that I have. That's a general gist of like the argument. The general argument being made is people will say 99.999 survival rate, which one, that's a made up number. Yeah. Um, and, and so, but they'll say that, but e even still there. So let's say it's one or one or 2% mortality rate or whatever. Um, and uh, I mean, it's such a tricky thing to say because someone might die two years later because of complication. So, so anyhow, let's just say, let's just say, one percent or something like that. I mean, I it would be one thing if five percent of the population. Have you ever seen the show Leftovers on HBO? No. It's so good. Um, <laughs> you must. It's 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 going to be a little weird for some people, but the premise is one day two percent of the population just vanishes from Earth. Everything else is the same. Um, so it's this odd dystopian. And then it's three years later and it's the world still going like, what the hell happened to those people? <laughs> and and it's and all these cults have popped up and everything. It would be one thing if 2%, even 5% of the human population just disappeared. You got COVID, you keel over right then and there, done. And 
so, uh, and you're the unlucky one and everyone else just like scot-free it it doesn't matter you survived it you're just back to normal no more worries about covid for the rest of your days and that i would i would have an easier time accepting a deal like that but the but what's happening with the long-term implications are just so much astronomically more the the long-term health impacts of just having what 10 percent of the population the the lost productivity that there's going to be of of people that still i know people that got covid six months ago that don't have their energy back that don't have their taste and smell back and stuff and it's it's just and and the amount of healthcare workers we're losing from this, and it, it's well, just it's, like it's that the distribution of all of this is super uneven as well. So it's bad enough that the United States has hit, and this is almost certainly an underestimate. Um, over like it's what five hundred ten thousand people in the course of a year to just this cause, just this. Yeah. Um which is awful. Like, if you think about that, like how many 9-11s can you fit inside of that? It's extraordinary, (laughs) right? Imagine if you had to watch that on a loop happening again and again and again and again. It's horrifying. Yeah. The problem is it's diffuse, right? So people don't have to watch this on a a loop and they can, someone's always going to be able to dig up someone and that, you know, is the equivalent of like their grandma who smokes two packs a day and drinks a bottle of whiskey and she's just fine at 99. Right. But we don't actually know that our grandma's just fine. So I guess, yeah, the long-term ramifications of that. And then it's also that it's unevenly distributed. So I was going through some work um, on how many doctors are dying and the pattern, this came out of Pennsylvania university. The pattern was, more family physicians and GPs, people who were seeing pe- uh, patients in their office, than emergency physicians and nurses were dying. So people who were working as small family practitioners, nurses and doctors, were more likely to get sick of COVID and die, had greater exposures, uh, that's the, the assumption, than our greater exposure than people working in emergency healthcare. And then if you looked at emergency healthcare, the age at death was like age six, or if you looked at all of healthcare, um, it was age 62 was the median age at death for COVID for doctors, and it was 52 for nurses. And if you look at who generally, by say identity, fills those roles, it's really, really biased, right? Healthcare has an abundance of um, people who are visible minorities that are filling those nurse positions. And they're the people that are taking the hit. And that's been the pattern across the country generally, that if you are, uh, and I'm using census categories here because that's the way we break up people in the United States. Um, if you look at Hispanic, Latino populations, uh, African-Americans, or I guess the category is just black on the census, uh, versus non-Hispanic whites in the United States, the odds that uh, a non-Hispanic black person in the U.S. will get COVID is something like 4.5 times. If it's age-adjusted, it's 4.5 times that of a non-Hispanic white person versus like, uh, and for, sorry, a Hispanic Latino, it's like 3.5 times. 
Mm-hmm. And it's because of just a general problem overall, right? Which is that these are people that tend to get shoved uh, like from opportunity loss and get shoved into lower income. It's associated with a much larger set of problems um, mm-hmm. around structural racism and any number of other yeah, things. Yeah, of course. So. Um, what so, about, what are some of the other, did I, did I see something, man, ah. Uh, um, did, did I see something about, um, like sperm count or something like that? And people um, that had COVID, is there some sort of, because, it, because it's not just a respiratory thing, it's getting into the, by the way, I only talk with someone about COVID like every two months. And, and, and so, and, and so, uh, sorry if I'm like, not the most, inf- as, as informed as no, you No, no, it's okay. That came out a couple of months ago and I, I, uh. I thought it was interesting. It became for me almost immediately lower priority because <laughs> in, well, yeah, in the moment, no, but, in but the I'm moment, I'm saying I was, as yeah. a, as a science communicator, as someone that just wants to convince the average Joe oh, no, no, no. to yes. care about this, like I'm going to play up the testicles <laughs> thing because it will get through to people. Yeah, that's it, not a bad it's idea. It's embarrassing. It's a shame. That that's the case, but I truly believe that. Like I, I used to say this. I used to have a joke about psychedelics too, which I, I, I'm, I'm not prescriptive, and I, I don't know one way or another what's good for everybody. But mushrooms were something that helped me with chronic depression quite a bit. I didn't take them as a part. I did them like often by myself, like three times, three or four times a year, and, uh, and just like the the issues with with some of the just just. I would like them instead of a schedule one to be a schedule two that so, so scientists can research them. That's all. I don't even, you know, whether we change the laws or whatever, that's another conversation. And, um, and I used to have a joke about how like, you know, you, they treat PTSD, depression, all these, all these various things, fantastic studies that come out. But the thing is, is people don't care. Like the average person just doesn't care about mental health that much. Uh, whereas if if there was like a sliver of a chance that once in a while someone's uh, penis size increased by like a quarter of an inch or something like that people would uh, like every guy like all these old politicians or if it like stopped erectile dysfunction all these old dudes making all the laws with erectile dysfunction would be like, we need to legalize these things immediately. You wouldn't be able to stop people. You'd be like, well, you know, it can cause some mental health issues. Well, I'm going to go crazy if I don't fix this erectile dysfunction. Right, yeah. It's like the Texas energy grid. You saw the joke around that. If it was a uterus, it would be regulated. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Um, this is just like not to make you uncomfortable, but it's like the be- the behavioral e- economists' kind of approach to epidemiology of like, right. yes, it's nice to like look at all this data and think of what a best case scenario is, but I, I've. What I've found out in the last four years, but then especially the last year, is that I've given people way too much credit to just think that they're going to like know Um, what's reasonable. I was thinking about that too. And I've been, uh, yeah. So to answer your question. So first I read it, 
I didn't read the paper. I read the news and saw it and just put it down my list of the, I said like I've categorized it as lower priority because I was engaged in like testing and vulnerable communities yeah, at the of time. Course, and so like, of course. which was the, the only thing I could focus on. It was literally the only thing I could squeeze into the, to the hours in the day. It was really right. a tough time. And so I was like, I'll just read this later. Um, so I don't know if they, if there's a precise mechanism that's, um, proposed, but generally the, the literature on hormones, uh, and infection suggests or shows that, um, with infection, certain sex hormones go down. So testosterone has been shown. This has been the case. Um, there's a paper by a guy named Michael Muhlenbein maybe 10 years ago that was showing like college co-eds coming in with influenza. And he would look at like their testosterone levels and like they do a fast rapid test on influenza and then they'd have them come back and the testosterone would go up when they were feeling better. It would go down when they were not. So uh, because it's about energy allocation, right? Um, in terms of what's a threat to the host, what does the host need right now? If it's all about reproductive success and making sure that you have offspring, you got to be alive for the offspring. So whenever you have like an infection, energy that would ordinarily go towards like creating higher right. quality sperm with motility and things like that is now going towards getting rid of the thing. Um, of however, I think one thing that we don't understand and um, the thing that I had originally read that stuck out in my mind was that this could possibly be going on for longer than the, just the in infection that we're aware of, right? Um, that it takes a while to kind of get back on track is that with COVID long haulers, for example, the people who keep testing positive, this is like not understood. Why do they keep testing positive? Why do they still have the symptoms of COVID? Why is this going on months and months and months and months and months? And so, but at least in that example, you have what appears to be an active infection that continues and an explanation for why you might have like not a lot of sperm. Mm -hmm. um, however, in the case of like getting COVID and then presumably it's self-limited and it resolves and you're still producing low levels of sperm months out, that's not understood and you should be concerned. Mm -hmm. um, we know that a number of single-stranded RNA viruses are good at jumping into zones that are immune privileged. And so, so a number of them can hop over the olfactory bulb in the nose and end up in the brain where, where certain cells that would ordinarily take them out are not doing what they would ordinarily do. Yeah. So it, I, it, the testicles are an immune privilege zone. So that's a, a possibility, I suppose, that there's something I, happening there. I took this, I sat in on this class of uh, Robert Sapolsky's last semester, and it was, uh, it was, uh, it, it, it was so far beyond my uh, comprehension level, but I was able to pick up on bits and pieces. And, um, and I just remember there. So the the class was uh the the class was basically just all the worst things that can happen to the aging brain with like <laughs> Alzheimer's and stuff. It was all just like the most disturbing <laughs> stuff. <laughs> and um and it was and at the end uh, uh like some of the last couple classes I think it was Alzheimer's or something else. Going through all of these complicated things that you know, I I just don't have the vocabulary to I I don't I don't know all of the jar neuroscience jargon and everything else. Um, I didn't have the prerequisite knowledge for this, but it was after like zoning out because it was getting way beyond my uh, uh, my comprehension. He said at the end, he's like, and it looks like COVID is doing some of these same things. 
um, to the brain. And he said that like two class, two classes in a row uh, to two different like aging brain thing. And, and so I, I, yeah, I wanted to ask if you knew anything about the, what, yeah, what it's so doing to the brain. I know a few things about beta coronaviruses in the brain. So, so heading back to just single stranded RNA viruses. So loss of taste and smell is not uncommon. It happens one of two ways, right? You either get punched in the nose. So you have some sort of trauma that actually physically damages um, nerves that are sending that information, or uh, you have a viral infection. Those are the two most common ways. And about, I think it's something like 50% of all the cases that go on for a year are virally mitigated. That was investigated prior to coronavirus, prior to this coronavirus, um, it had been looked into with some coronaviruses, rhinoviruses, which is another common cold virus, and uh, influenzas. Um, and the out of that came a couple of studies that showed that beta coronaviruses can jump the olfactory bulb and go into the brain. Once they're in there, they can um, trigger programmed cell death. So they can kill neuronal cells, um, and that's something that they do. So whether they jump the nose all the time is a little hard to say right now. Whether or not they kill cells on the other side all the time once they get over there is also a little bit hard to say. But the ongoing symptoms for recovery involve brain fog, which, which suggests that that could be energy depletion. There's lots of things that cause brain fog, but it doesn't rule out, you know, um, one other way to get it done is to kill some brain cells. And um, some of the other things that we know from post-sepsis syndrome, so this would be like severe cases of COVID where you're like in the ICU, um, you know, you have this massive systemic infection and then you survive, is that there is neuronal and nerve damage that comes out of that almost always. Um, and so, and that damage has been noted five and 10 years out. That's if you survive your first year because people who survive sepsis are statistically more likely to die of any other cause in the next 12 months. Mm -hmm. So um, if you make it out there, then five and 10 years out, you can look forward usually to some kind of muscle wasting and also neuronal dysfunction. And so that's, um, that's, this is that's what I, I mean, I keep <laughs> telling people uh, like you don't understand 10 years from now, people are going to be going, well, no one told me this could have possibly happened to me. There's going to be a huge number of people that are going to be, well, I just thought I was like rolling the dice and, uh, you know, a 1% chance of dying and that's it. And then after that, I'm, I'm good to go. People just do not seem to be getting this. It is. It is insane to me. It, it's, it's, it, I, I can't, it, people had, I had to argue with people recently. I was like, I, I, I was like, uh, someone, some big podcaster went off about like, well, he, it, there's a, um, uh, there's a, uh, you know, for 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 some people, I think the vaccine is good for some people, but they're a healthy person. They're like, but you know, I'm I'm healthy, so I don't like who. And I was like, well, this is this is like, this is 
a fi- this isn't even a fifth grade understanding of vaccines. You don't take a vaccine after you get sick. Like, no, you want that before it happens. And I guess the other thing too is that, like, so far most of our conversation, right, has been around a personal interest in doing this. Yeah. Um, even if you do get, and it started when we when we talked about like, oh, so vaccines are not it. The before times are not going to come back right after everyone gets vaccinated because vaccines are right now just part of a layering effect, right? You have to do many different things yeah, yeah. to limit this moving around, and you know, limit it moving around because you don't want your grandma to die, you don't want your neighbor's grandma to die. Like if you had to, I feel like if people had to watch what happens after they transmit something to somebody. You know, but we we have, in the United States, there's this overall sense of sort of rugged individualism <laughs> that um, that is admired, uh, but gets in the way of cooperative activities like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's not just about like, I mean, one of the things that bothers me about this, because there is, for people who are interested in rationalizing not doing something for the public good, there's really, it's really hard to make an argument then like, okay, well, you don't want to kill everyone's grandma, right? Because mm-hmm. it, it seems unreal. But of the 510,000 people that have died in this country, they all died because someone else gave them this virus, right? They didn't go out licking, you know, subway poles to get it. This is something that Someone else breathed on them. Someone else was near them within six feet, you know, and that person may not have wanted that to happen. But imagine if that person, if the person at the center of any super spreading event had to understand how many people they made sick and how many people died. The same person is unlikely to walk into some place and shoot the same number of people. Yeah. And, and I think that like getting that risk across to somebody is, is hard because they've, or the importance of it, right? Because they've already rationalized that it's okay for everybody but them. Yeah. And I see this at many different levels. So not on vaccines, but at a number of other levels, I've seen this among like academics. Um, it's okay for, you know, you guys can follow the rules and it, it's okay because I'm doing this the right way. Um, yeah. When the right thing has been for the last year is to limit movements, be masked, if you can now get vaccinated, get vaccinated and stay away from other people. Like, unless you absolutely have to like that. That's been the case this whole time. Yeah, there's there's just been I mean, it's so much of the uh, so comedians are doing it, uh, the wellness people, everyone, because there's. There, uh, anyone making a living off of pseudoscience, anyone, anyone selling supplements, anyone selling like uh, health stuff and the latest diet craze and stuff like that, any anyone, uh, anyone peddling, manifesting your desires and through uh, like uh, br- breath work or whatever else, any anyone doing that, it would be one thing if they're like, this is something. On top of masking and distancing and everything else, here's this supplemental thing that you can do that, uh, you know, at the very least might have a placebo effect. Hey, why not? Why not try it? Instead, they're saying there's a lot of uh, motivated reasonings. Hey, hey, don't live your life in fear. Do that. You just what you need to do is take uh, 18,000 different vitamins 
in a more and more complex order that like and you can only buy them from me and in this like get this alpha brain and the right. vitamin d stuff and and i'm not like people are gonna be like are you against vitamin d no i'm not against vitamin d i'm saying vitamin d isn't going to fix everything in your entire life if you're saying if you're against masks and against distancing because you can just pop a vitamin D pill and now you think you're immune to everything and you don't need to and it's okay if you infect everyone else, that's what I have an issue with. Yeah. And there's just so much motivational reasoning behind all this and there's so much profit in it that uh, that when people are like, well, I don't trust these pharmaceuticals and stuff like I don't necessarily either, but I just trust them more than you now, especially after spending a year talking with you bunch of dopes. I would much oh. rather like I, it. I guess like, the thing is that it's about rigor, right? It's about it, it's what. So gosh, it'd be really great if someone had run a trial on vitamin D in this, right? But it didn't get to trial. Yeah. Not because there's a conspiracy against vitamin D, because the r basic research required to do it has been done like around other infections and it goes nowhere. And yeah. so the best thing to do was this. And so I, I think the, the weirdness for me around this is um, we have these viable options. Government regulates industry. So for this, for conspiracy to work, right? Government has to be, and I'm sure that, I know that this is the way that uh, some people think, but government has to be in bed with pharmaceutical companies who have to be right. in bed with all the scientists that did the basic research for no money, <laughs> that yeah, was yeah. Like, you know, in advance. Um, That's, I know, because I talk with, you're in your garage right now because you can find, a, it's the place that you can find to record. I've been to every, like, before COVID, I went to scientists' homes and offices all the time. I've mm -hmm. seen the cars that you guys drive. <laughs> I'm not impressed. I have, no, to, I have to tell my you. my dented Prius is not doing it for you, right? Yeah, I, it, it does. It doesn't reek of, <laughs> of bribery money uh, to me. Yeah, but it's it's a you know it's it's a it's a difficult it's difficult to do this kind of unwinding. Uh, and it's been found, um, and we've talked, I think, about this before, that like the most effective strategies are tent for like unwinding these pseudoscientific notions are to mm -hmm. sit down and make an individual feel heard and then talk to them about what you know and to not be overtly coercive. And, uh, and that works but on an individual basis and apparently has a reasonable success rate. But the problem is that a lot of energy and it's yeah. not um it, it's difficult so you have to take i think like a multi-layer approach to getting the, the that kind of work done and we just spent a year with uh, an administration that was determined to spread pseudoscience and we know that there are government-run troll farms that are doing the same thing now foreign governments what I, I, and so like to go up against misinformation and disinformation is it's a big task. You can't just individually do it. it but, well, but it, it, you know, what are the options? This is a crisis. So 
if you can convert, convert. If you can tell somebody what's real, then tell them what's real, you know, if you can get it across. Trump met with An- Andrew Wakefield before his uh before he he took the um before he took office, like uh, right before he had a he had a a, a meeting with him and like retweeted them and stuff and then said crap nice. about vaccines shortly after and uh and then what did he recently like he got vaccinated Trump got vaccinated of in course. January and like didn't tell anyone about it and like it, all of the I mean I I mean that's it, you know I I I think that I uh, you know what I where I'd like to get to is some cause for optimism because I think just that guy being gone is going to make a bit really big difference because he was pandering to the dumbest people on earth and not even just them but they're the worst parts of who they are and that's and i say that because this is this is the kind of uh this is the kind of um uh, uh manner in which those people voted to be talked to this was the discourse yeah. that was voted they voted for a name calling person that was like i'm going to talk tough and tell it like it is it was like all right well if you want to hear the truth if you want to know if you want someone to tell it to you like it is Careful what you wish for. I think the problem with him is that um, the problem that anyone who wants to unseat him from any position ever is that he had plenty of smart people that bought in. Carl Rove is not a dumb guy. Carl Rove worked on every part of those campaigns, right? I mean, because Carl Rove wants to win. His motivations are probably very different, but it it, it doesn't, yeah. Um, Well, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of smart people that behind the, behind Duck Dynasty, you know, that, that like prop up these like, characters and everything and give them the lines to say and and everything else. I I guess the reason why I'm saying is that I think that that's the danger of, of him as a charismatic I don't find him charismatic, but as, as a person who has been charismatic to what seventy-four million people in this last election, is that he he the, he can get in with people who are very smart and um, and appeals to I mean bad qualities, like just like really yeah. legitimately poisonous qualities. Yeah, awful. Um, the bright side is that uh, okay. The downside, the downside, downside's obvious. Um, before he left office, we were close to a half million people dead. So that's pretty bad. Um, lots and lots of other downsides that came with that. Uh, there was no national plan for vaccine distribution. There wasn't even, uh, when the Biden administration came into office, one of the first announcements came out was that they had no sense of what the, um, supply chain problems might be around vaccines, period, because no one had asked. Yeah. So one of the problems being that no one in those offices thought to ask. Right. What what kind of problems are we facing? This is after a summer where whole states like Arizona ran out of polypropylene tips required to pipette samples for tests into tubes. There's actually an international run on polypropylene generally. And this is something that's commonly used in the making of vaccines. And so why no one asked about supply chain problems was like kind of beyond anybody, but they just didn't. Mm-hmm. Um there's probably lots of reasons and political scientists can go pull that apart. The upside is that the first 10 executive orders that came out of the Biden administration dealt with this, like dealt with this crisis and like so many aspects around it. Um, and, and we are getting, uh, people are getting vaccinated. I am now fully vaccinated, which as 
I qualified, I was contacted because I um, had been doing face-to-face research on mitigation with symptomatic people. So that's a pretty, like, that's what I'm looking for, asinine. That's like a very <laughs> eccentric, like, category of people. But, um, but more and more people I know are getting vaccinated that aren't doing that work. And so vaccines are rolling up very quickly now. Uh, other things, we have a big long break between now and the next set of major holidays. And in that time, there are going to be more and more people vaccinated. Um, this administration is doing a better, and so are administrations around the world, are doing a better job of explaining how vaccines are not the last stop here, that it involves still many different things. I, I mean, the, the Trump effect was global, too. I mean, because so many, so many other leaders were able to take advantage of that strategy and and copy yeah. the do the same thing and be like a provocateur and just pander to like just uh, be obnoxious and not uh, be anti-science and everything else well because it's not about the people right it's about the cult right when you do stuff like that right it's about getting votes it's not really about yeah so i mean we're in this moment where we're grinding very slowly right down a little bit um not to a halt but you know we're slowing down which is good numbers are down across the the country now down means that they're at levels that they were at before thanksgiving last year (laughs) so before halloween so they're they're sitting at levels that we thought were pretty terrible and having a crisis over earlier um but they're down and we have some other really interesting information that's been coming. Uh, like there's all kinds of cool stuff that's happening now around this. It's actually a reason to be hopeful for lots of reasons. So first off, we have this mRNA vaccine that you can pop any sequence into. So if another bat gets, you know, or a monkey or anybody passes another virus to, um, you know, a human population, doesn't have to be a coronavirus. It can be anything. Um, hypothetically, there's a vehicle to pop that in, and we have this less of a wait time now. Didn't they do that in like three days early on? Not yeah. not the studies. They, they but identified th- the sequence in like January of 2020 and started rolling on it. Yeah. yeah. Isn't that amazing? They were like, here's the sequence out of Wuhan. Okay, yeah. this looks like a good spot, given what we know about yeah. coronaviruses. And <laughs> that was it. Yeah. yeah. And that, Science so, is so amazing. It's so cool, right? So now we have this vehicle that's already approved and you can pop these things in. And so the, the barrier for, um, the barrier then is efficacy and safety. It doesn't necessarily have to be massive trials, uh, depending on what comes next. So we now have something that can, we can readily make, um, a vaccine. How effective it is, you know, that's another matter. It depends on what bug comes next. So that's, that's a good thing. I'm hoping a whole bunch of federal money has been sort of on an emergency basis restructured. Uh, There's these new funding programs and programs that got more money around rapid acceleration and diagnostics. And so the NIH has this RADx program, which is like a big five-year grant that they cram into one year. So it's it's a really hard it's a really hard grant to manage because the expectations are the same as about five years worth of research, but you got to get it all done in one year, Uh, and you get it done in a cohort. And the idea is that the, the program comes up with ways to like bring up to scale uh, diagnostics and vaccination um, around problems like uh, that we face routinely, which is like, how do you get 
have you helped people you're underserving? You know, um, how do you get more tests done every day? Things like that. Uh, my hope, and I've heard rumors, but I don't know if how this is going to work out. The federal budget period um, is supposed to, uh, the, the next one coming in is supposed to involve some flush of money into some of these areas. So uh, there's a reinvestment, hopefully, at a federal level into doing the basic research that's required to solve these problems before the problem emerges. So, you know, one of the biggest problems with coronavirus has been that before 2002, it was a really eccentric area of study. Um, then SARS happened, and then it became less eccentric. But like you'd run into, I, I can think of like a handful of researchers, there's a hell of a lot more people studying other things. And, you know, this had to do with prioritization before SARS around like whether or not we really wanted to know that much about the common cold or what could the common cold do for us, right? So adenoviruses got a lot of attention. They were immediately identified as a potential vector for um, for treatments as like vaccines or in gene therapies. Uh, you know, they were used as models for things. But, you know, you don't know what bug is coming next. You just know that it, we, we get... Um, you know, new pathogens emerge every year. Not everyone becomes one of, you know, COVID-19, but new pathogens emerge every year. And so a lot of um, what I'm hoping is happening is that there's a recognition that the reason why we have vaccines right now is because a couple of smart people made the argument that we need to be prepared and do work on these things that don't necessarily seem to be as worthwhile in terms of being financially accretive immediately or um, or seem to be like a method that would be interesting to pursue, but we already have a vaccination method. Like we have these vaccines because a group of people made the argument that we need to have um, a little lipid vector that you can just shove anything into and have a rapid vaccine development and they successfully got money for it. And they were su you know, successful in like um, managing that research for a really long time. Mm -hmm. So my hope is that this period leads to an investment in areas that um, are less pigeonholed, like that are around, you know, that, that give us the background for the next thing that might emerge because we don't know what that is. Mm -hmm. Um and that requires putting money into the social sciences. It requires putting money into, you know, more than maths and engineering. Before the previous eight years, um, Congress made arguments every single year that for the NSF, in any case, projects that were funded there needed to prove that they could be immediately financially accretive, that they needed to immediately turn a profit. And they moved money out of places like evolutionary biology and they put it into maths and engineering because that's where the problems of the world are going to be solved. But the problems of the world aren't necessarily going to be solved there, right? They need help from other areas too. So one thing I'm hoping, and I've seen some flickers that this is true, is that there's going to be somewhat of a reinvestment in areas that can help with future pandemics. And that means investing more broadly. Mm -hmm. That was a very long explanation. Uh, but the other thing I think that we might have some hopeful things... Uh, for it's, um, I don't know, on a personal level, I feel like I've discovered a lot of really interesting stuff. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, so, me so, too. You know, like I've I've been able to do things. I mean, I've been completely consumed by this, but I've also been, you know, when you're at home all the time, you get to do new things. Okay, what did you oh, do? Oh, I I had oh so much. I mean, I I've I've had multiple friends be like, Shane, you love COVID. <laughs> you, you, <laughs> you're going to miss it when it, when it's gone. It's because I'm like kind of good at it like i don't one i don't mind hunkering down i don't mind all of the like distancing and stuff that much and two i love uh i didn't particularly care for the world the way that it was before covid and i'm uh i've always been eager to see some sort of shake up in things to uh, to see, I, I think that there was a lot of, um, I, I think that there was a, a thin veneer over reality for a long time and people weren't realizing a lot of, uh, just a lot of issues with government or uh, science denial or other things that I think that now people are even just thinking about dying or things like that, that your average person just spends most day trying to avoid thinking about has now come to the surface. And it's been, uh, you know, it's, it's basically been like a global uh, trip. It's, it's given everyone a fresh perspective. And, uh, and I actually think that, with all of the nightmare that was the last administration and and what how and Trump's handling of covid and everything else uh you know it was a pretty harsh lesson but it might have been a lesson that humans ultimately benefit from i i think of the peak end rule a lot of and uh and certainly what a what an ending to his administration <laughs> and people are going to remember that more than um more than whatever good that they think he might have uh done and so so that it, it's been interesting this has been the most fascinating time of my life and i like fascinating things and and so it, as frustrating as and it's helped me realize that one i don't have i'm not like the laid back person that i realized that i was i i'm frustrated and short with people and i have temperament issues and stuff and i and i tend to uh be more judgmental than I realized. And so, and I'm just experimenting with a ton of different things. I was just like, I was on the road and I was going to be on the road for years before this. Now I have a new show coming. I've, uh, yeah. I've learned all the social media stuff, uh, just a, a million things, a million good things have come out of this. So for me. little, little things. So, it's hard for me to separate the good and the bad things that have happened because it's yeah. um, to me, they're very hand in hand. So I've been really lucky to have a job this whole time. That's something that a lot of people can't say, right? Like that I, I was able to be, and not only that, but I was able to be paid to do something that I like to do. And uh, that, uh, that a pandemic happened that happened to land uh, in an area that I knew and was unusual, knew an unusual amount about. So that that meant that it was easy for me to keep on top of most of the information coming out about it, right? It would be a different story if it was something that I didn't understand. 
So if this had been, for me personally, so if this had been like Vesuvius erupted, but it erupted and covered all of, I don't know, the Atlantic Ocean. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. Unlikely. Probably never going to happen. But I was just, that's the only one I could think of at the moment. The only, literally the only volcano that came to mind. But it was something like that, right? I don't mm -hmm. understand volcanoes terribly well. I don't understand what the long-term ramifications of that necessarily is going to be. Like, mm -hmm. um, I can't pick apart those science papers and see what someone did and didn't look at. And so it was somewhat comforting to be able to like, okay, I, I got the gist of this. I can, I can figure this out. Mm -hmm. um, that comes with the downside of having seen and having to deal um, me personally, not so much, but a lot of my colleagues who have trained and ended up getting pulled into service with an awful lot of public vitriol, including from their own colleagues. Mm -hmm. And that's been, that's been hard to watch people who have like, I work this out in an Excel sheet <laughs> and like, and here's what I have to say about this. And therefore you're wrong. And this is not going to be a big problem. Like, um, and you know, a number of my colleagues get death threats on a, on a, very yeah. regular basis that's that's been hard to see for trying to save humanity for trying to, yeah on the upside overwhelmingly there have been there's been uh at least locally where i am um cooperation overwhelmingly people have been masking people have been doing things that are the right thing to do and if you think about it right i haven't been sick in a year like yeah. I haven't, I haven't Same. had a cold or anything for a year. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which is a weird, I have two little kids too. Right? That's like, I'm usually sick all the time. I usually am flying and traveling right? and shaking hundreds of hands after shows. I mean, yeah. I, I get colds all the time. And I, I think that's something that, and it occurred to me right after the shutdown, like, why haven't I been masking this whole time? I go to work, you know, I try to avoid people, certainly if I'm sick, sick. But I go to work with a cold. You know, I, I've done that recovering from a cold. If I'm feeling really bad, I'll stay home. But, you know, I go, I wash my hands, I try to stay away from people, but not like this. Yeah. And this whole time, I could have been doing it like this, right? Like, there's students on my campus that routinely mask. A lot of them come from China and areas in Southeast Asia where this is, like, the normal, appropriate thing to do. Like, why wasn't I doing that when I had a cold? And so I'm sort of hoping... Because you know, people die of pneumonia stemming from the cold, too. They die of secondary pneumonia that maybe we'll see an alleviation overall as people get more out of their houses if this continues. If some good portion of the world is masking, then when they're not feeling well, that's great, right? Mm -hmm. That's a win. Um, I run more. I hate the treadmill more <laughs> than I used to. That's a downside. The upside is I'm running more. I'm yeah. more of a runner in, in quarantine. But, um, but in terms of like hope for the future, it, it's a, I'm supposed to be a planner, right? Like, um, and I think that we're all told that you're supposed to like to have a good career. You need to have so many years plan. You need to be ready five years, 10 years ahead. You need to know what steps you need to make. You need to be ambitious. You need to like hit those goals. There's milestones every week you got to hit. And, um, but the way that the pandemic of an unknown, of a previously unknown thing works is that you know, you take the information you've got, you take the information you had from the past, you try to make it work and you figure it out day by day. And, um, you know, maybe, maybe we hit some magical number and we get a broader herd immunity in the United States, you know, yeah. and then the circumstances that I've described so horrifically previously are not going to work out that way. You know that the United States bought last two weeks ago? bought 6 million AstraZeneca vaccines and sent them to Ghana. So um, 
with with the goal of like they're just going to hit as many going to help as many African nations as they can. The idea is like let's ro- get rolling into lower income nations so that you know we don't have to worry about travel and traffic. Yeah. Yeah. Russia's doing the same thing. That's going to be interesting. That's going to be an interesting geopolitical vaccine race. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm well, when you talk about the uncertainty, I think that's why I like this so much is like I am I I just feel at home in uncertainty and change and my life has always been uh I've never been organized, I've never known you know, I've never had like 9 to 5 things, I've never had I've never really used calendars <laughs> much <laughs> and and I've been navigating the choppy seas of chaos and uncertainty for decades and I uh, and I just feel very at home in change and even with like oh, oh I guess I don't make money anymore okay I guess I just didn't need to completely change my oh all right I guess that's like give uh, uh, like when there's a I like board games and it's just there's this game flux that that uh in the in the middle of the game, the entire rules to the game can change. Like a card changes the rules and then a new card changes the rules. And I'm just always with my career, the way that it is, it's just like, oh, new rules. Okay, well, just tell me what the rules are and I can adapt them. I guess I feel like kind of bad for people that are just so used to the routine because I, I think that is part of why people are having such a hard time and in so much denial because they're like, no, I've built this system this is like what gets me out of bed every day to do like this grind and do this thing. And I've, I've built a system where there's no system. I've built a system where the, like, I'm never, I'd never yeah. have consistency. I never have a routine. I don't have rituals. And so. I mean, some, some workplaces. So, I mean, universities are like this, right? They, it's built on a backbone of anxiety around needing to measure up. And so under anxious circumstances, right, it's difficult to change. It's really difficult to change. Like, okay, I've got this one thing nailed down, right? Um, the other thing, I was thinking about this. So I don't know if you saw this paper that came out. It was in Nature, and it came out, I want to say, at the end of the summer. It was looking at cell phone data in California and, like, connecting it to gyms and restaurants and looking at super spreader events. And the, the primary. Oh, I think I did huh? see they had like the the nice little graph of of the primary, like, like the yeah. outdoor dining was number one, and then and uh, and then it shrunk down from there. Yeah. So First. the the primary findings out of that were that re- like something that we all knew this, right? But it was nice to have it quantified. It was quantified on a big scale because they had tens of thousands of cell phone records. Um, was that? Uh, Restaurants and gyms are super spreader locations, which is something mm-hmm. that we all knew. But uh, one of the other things, the secondary finding, which I thought was really interesting, was that they noted that the distance traveled by cell phones that were in low-income neighborhoods daily was much, much bigger. It was a much longer distance daily. They covered a lot more ground than ones that were living in higher-income neighborhoods. And the hypothesis there was that when you're living lower income, you're compelled. You have to go to work. You ha- you're more likely to be an essential worker for that matter, but you have to move 
because it's the difference between eating and not eating. It's the difference between paying rent and not paying rent, right? Mm-hmm. That um, for someone who doesn't have a safety net, that it's it's a lot harder to stay at home. And so um, I'm hoping to see more analysis soon on what the dynamics of that are. Because when I see people throwing off rules, I'm not seeing what I would identify necessarily as essential workers. In fact, all the essential workers that I work with, and especially the, the lower income ones that I know, are, are people who are following the rules to the best of their abilities. Well, that's the thing. They'll have like, uh, see, I, I some of the lockdown stuff, it, it almost creates these weird like vectors where it's, it's, uh, you know, like there, there's this, um, there's this comedy, like, like the comedy seller. There's just all sorts of, you know, in live entertainment venues, there's all sorts of people just like trying to get away with And they advertise like, oh, yeah, we're going to operate at 30% capacity or whatever. And then the they comedy seller did that. You mean the one in New York, the, like down on St. Mark's place? The, the comedy seller. So they're not allowed to do this show downstairs. So instead they're like. Oh, we're going to have a meet and greet with comedians upstairs in the restaurant area because the restaurant is like, like wink, wink, and it's going to be distanced and all of that. And, and, um, and so it's, it's like, it's like, um, I was talking with, um, with some friends about this. It's like, um, you, you go and, you're driving a truck that's 13 feet tall. And then there's a thing that says bridge 12 feet tall, nothing. Over. And like looking and being like, well, is there a cop around? <laughs> no, I can get all right, there. let's go for it. <laughs> and it's like, no, these aren't they, like, I'm not a rule follower. I wasn't like, I was always in detention. I don't, I don't care about what laws are. I care about what objective reality is. And these guidelines are meant to help us navigate objective reality. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, I like that and, analogy. That was that was good. <laughs> and and so but what happens is these loopholes then create these vectors because then all of the like, ooh, they're allowing this in this air this it, it's almost like it's almost like when you when when smoking indoor smoking became illegal and then it was like unless it's a cigar shop or what and so then like all this uh, all the smokers would go in there in this loophole but now it's like all of the highest you know the people that are most likely to be spreading COVID because they care the least about it because they look at this as just like this loophole that they got to like navigate some, find some trickle around so they can pull their mask off as soon as possible. They're all collecting in the same like underground places. And then they're going to their jobs at like a paint store or whatever and working with like my buddy who works at a paint store and takes COVID seriously and doesn't want, doesn't know like, you know, that their coworkers been doing it, like out going to like comedy shows or or whatever with right. people, you know. Yeah, I mean, I guess at the end of it, uh, the thing that it, it's been so I've been shut down since I pulled my kids out of school on March fourth because I'd I'd had enough of waiting. I'd asked the school, I 
offered to talk to the school board. You know, I, I um, mm -hmm. and then my other one was in this large daycare facility and uh, which had many rooms and things. And I had gone to drop off some medication for her and they had sent us all these notes about how it's not really transmitting across children, which I was like, that's nonsense. That would be pretty, uh, pretty big deal for a coronavirus of any stripe to not do that. So that was, that really struck me as being like, this is bound to be false and it was false. Uh, but, um, oh, we're washing our hands. We're doing stuff. If a kid looks sick, they get sent home. And I walked in and there were kids with just like so much stuff pouring out of their faces. And they were playing with Play-Doh that they were packing back away to give to the next classroom. And I was like, okay, we're going home. That's it. I like, I tried, I tried to wash our hands before we left. There was like no soap. No, they were just out at the moment. And I was like, screw this i'm out and so i picked her up took her home picked up my other daughter and i was like you're not going back to school tomorrow and i'm just going to figure this out over the weekend um and then we shut down i shut down my lab the next day and i've been shut down ever since and i've been thinking about um things that i've wanted to know the most since that time and the things i've been most sad about and i guess the thing i'm the most sad about is the lack of cooperation when there could the willful lack of cooperation and how much mm -hmm. of that is probably being driven by outside sources mm -hmm. um what do you mean by that meaning like that i think that there's um every reason to think that the same uh, organizations that were pushing mis and disinformation ahead of the election in 2016 and continue to do so afterwards and have interfered with elections in the UK and Canada. Yeah. Those same nations are pushing these stories now. Yeah. I mean, you can just buy, you can just buy Facebook ads and yeah. from, you can be in any country and say, Hey, I want Americans to believe a bunch of dumb shit. That's going to get them all killed. Uh, sorry for my language. Um, but I, I had, and, um, uh, well, your your kids probably aren't listening to this episode. No, nah, it's all in my ears, uh, but it's okay. <laughs> so, so, um, so, uh, but you know, like you could be in some other country and just buy Facebook ads to get disinformation into a country and like run anti-mask like conspiracy memes and stuff like that. And you can from, be a government troll, right? And yeah. make you, yeah, like why not? Like yeah, why? Yeah. Why assume that that's anybody other than a well-paid troll? Yeah, who's on yeah. a troll farm learning how to do these things? I mean, um, especially also because it's becoming obvious now that there's <laughs> that that Russia is eagerly getting vaccines out to middle-income nations. Right? They're they're trying really hard to cover a lot of territory. So they're going. They you know Mexico has Sputnik vaccine. Um, Bolivia has Sputnik vaccine. That's, that's the aim. So if you can, if you can undermine, like how, how is the undermining of the mRNA vaccines any different than the undermining of 5G, which is something that Russia has been doing since 2017. Mm -hmm. So I, that's something that I found that that's been, those two things have been dis disappointing. But, um, the thing I've wanted to know since the very beginning, and it was one of these things where like I was scientifically eager, and like personally terrified at the same time. So it was like, I really want to get more information on what conditions in Wuhan looked like in uh, December and January of, of uh, 2019 and 2020. And so um, the WHO China joint mission was completed a couple of weeks ago 
The first round of it was completed a couple of weeks ago, second, because technically they met last February, so February 2020, and then between January 9th and February 9th, they did another investigation uh, on the data that had been collected, and it is really interesting. Um, it hasn't, so there's been some conflab between the U.S., so the Biden administration and the security apparatus here has been giving pushback on um, the WHO. So they're not going to release the report, the written report this week like they were supposed to. But the original, uh, what do you call those? Press conference had some really interesting info in it. So um, so that's been really cool. So they looked at like 4,500 samples that were collected between like, I think it was... 4,500 samples between December and January. So it was December 2019 to January 2020. And they looked at health records and pharmacy records going back six months into like June um, of 2019. And they found no statistical, no statistically significant markers that this virus was circulating substantially um, before December 2019. So meaning it doesn't mean it wasn't circulating. It just means that it wasn't like a big outbreak. They didn't see anything of note in those records. And of the 4,500 samples that they looked at, they found a couple of interesting things. One of which is that, and this was in the press conference, so they have to wait for the written report to see how they did it. Um, the, the, the Wuhan fish market, so there's a, that big wet market that everyone focused on, and it's very close to this lab. Um, right now, based on the genetic analysis of the sequences that they did um there sorry the sequence analysis the gen yeah the genetic analysis of the sequences that they have um it looks like there's it's not a single it's not a single origin coming out of that lab right that's and that's something that we all generally thought anyway it was probably rang of conspiracy to begin with but the ge the genetic sequences were diverse enough at the beginning of the outbreak outside to suggest that that wasn't the case and now the stuff that's in Wuhan is also genetic genetically diverse enough to suggest that that wasn't the case, that in that wet market, it was more likely to have been a super spreader event and that the emergence is elsewhere and they have it from like lots and lots of other wet markets, which suggests that it was already circulating in China in low numbers, but broadly, at least in the, in the Hubei province uh, in advance. So that's really interesting because it suggests that either it emerged outside of China, which wouldn't be a big thing. There's, it's most likely to have come from a bat and possibly an intermediate host in between. And there are bats all over there carrying viruses that look awfully similar to this one. So that wouldn't be a big deal. Um, but, um, but it's also possible that it had like a center of origin in China too, but just like far out. And so, um, so that's kind of, that's kind of interesting to think that like, we didn't have a massive pandemic. There's not enough of a signal to see a big pandemic and lots of pneumonia cases in the previous six months, but there is evidence that it's pretty diverse. And so it's probably older than we originally thought, which is kind of cool. Mm. Um, the downside of that report was in the press conference. They pushed two things that pushed the U.S. government's buttons. Uh, the first is that they promoted this notion that it may have come in on frozen food from some other location, not totally out of the realm of possibility, but not, like, where's the evidence? There's like literally no evidence, it's just an idea. There's no, no one has public evidence that that's the case. Um, and the, the other thing is 
I guess. Well, I guess that's primarily that's primarily it. Is that the, it's the they're suggesting that the origins are outside of China, and because so, there's no public evidence for that, people are are upset that that's been suggested. So this is a another thing that I, I feel from people is the lab leak origin um, story stuff. What what are your thoughts on uh, possible lab leak? Ah, uh, none. I don't think that's okay. Yeah, I mean, you'd expect if it was a single origin lab. So the likelihood, right? Like how rando is that? Um, but on top of that, um, you'd expect the genetic sequences found near that center, right? Where people are getting the first, you know, getting first contaminated to be pretty homogenous. The WHO, the H, or sorry, the WHO says no, they're not. Mm-hmm. So they're pretty, they're... Reasonably well, there's, diverse. there's just so the other thing is there's just like this whole like fringe academic, academic uh, like fringe intellectual uh, side or like like the intellectual dark web and like all this stuff going on now or it's just like you have very you know bright people that know how to use words really well and sound very convincing and and yeah. they're they're like. Well, this alternative narrative, anything fringy is like very exciting. And so, you know, I don't care one way or another. And it's like, if it's lab leak, great, we should get down to it. But it does, it seemed to me that some people are like a little obsessed with this. I can't even put together why exactly, because it's, because it seems to be like another reason to did not, for one, if it was a lab leak, I would be more concerned about, like, why would you be more or less concerned about COVID? It just seems like another reason reason to be like see they the 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 you know very nefarious they 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 did um, this uh, like planned this or did this or they're covering this up and and like there's a brett weinstein who seems to be they from the i don't know if you know him he's one of the like he has this like dark horse podcast or whatever he's getting very very popular this is and he's promoting this idea I mean, so yeah, here's, and- here's like there's reasons to I can I can get why it's easy to buy. First off, there has been a case in the United States of um, so more than one case, right? In the United States of a large facility doing something terrible. So Kodak <laughs> dumped an awful lot of chemicals, Three Mile Island, and then there's the dude who stole the military grade anthrax. And yeah. poisoned a bunch of people, right? Well, so those I, are then I just have... I just watched this fantastic movie, Dark Water, about Teflon and uh, Dupont. It's really yes, good. Yes, Dupont. I think is going to be facing some serious. Come yeah. I mean, I hope that you know. The, uh, my understanding is that they've they've done an awful lot of pollution around. Yeah, China, yeah. And that's just one thing, right? Because they make a lot of. Stuff. And I mean, there's all sorts of you could li- you could list things to you could list Coca Cola. You could you know I I don't yeah. blame people for like having concerns about. I, I'm pretty skeptical about antidepressants. I I think that uh, you know the the pain, pain management is super complex and tricky, and I, I don't know what the right answer is there. But I don't I don't blame people for you know there there was. 
certainly uh, a couple decades ago i thought i thought people weren't informed enough about the addictive um potential of some of uh, these things and and so so you can see where people go like well the pharmaceutical companies they they make money they cover these things up right. they cover up the and and so why wouldn't vaccines do the same? I usually tell people, well, vaccine, you're taking one, you're not getting someone hooked on vaccines. Oh yeah. No, there's that. There's, it isn't like there's, there's no big money in vaccines, right? It's, it's, um, you get lowballed all the way in your negotiations. So it's, uh, because the, because nations buy annual amounts from like single companies and they give them to like lowest bidder with who's licensed. And, you know, they, they do the approvals. It's a high quality product, but at the end of it, your costs, like you're not, making it's no viagra right it's not making it's not keeping you afloat it's it's you know it's not a big money maker yeah and i mean and there is you know purdue is legally found purdue did commit conspiracy right like they they hid information um and they had you know cooperators with them in that process and they lied to the fda there's lots of things that are very under the table but but like this is this is it's not that that's different it's just that I think that that puts people in a position where then, okay, therefore, if you put the right words together, you could believe that there'd be some sort of a spillover from a lab. But there's no, like, it makes, you can't have that and then have genetically diverse viruses on the outside of that lab, right? Like, it's, it's like in the immediate vicinity, it doesn't work like that. And so, yeah, that's, I don't believe that hypothesis yeah i i haven't uh, from the beginning but it's there's uh, yeah it was it's worth uh it's worth mentioning i think Um, one of the things that's most damaging right now is that the u.s government is pushing back and it's not they're not being terribly clear about why they're pushing back and the only people that are talking other than jen saki in very general terms are former former Bush administrators, or not Bush administrators, uh, Trump administrators. So I'm just, I'm getting all my Republican administrations mixed up. Um, and so like diplomats that were in China that were Trump appointees are still parroting the things that he was talking about. Right. And so when those guys are the guys that are most vocal and the WHO is getting such pushback and it's unclear why, and it could be about like, we want raw data sequences. We don't want, you know, assembled sequences from China. Like it could be something that is so scientifically important, but mundane to most people. That's why we're getting pushback, but the admin is not being clear about it. And the guys talking are conspiracy theorists. So Do anyway, you, I apologize. The, the other, the other thing that, um, you know, that I'll, that I'll get a lot from people is the liability, you know, there were because, because pharmaceuticals don't have liability for uh, for vaccines and this the, this idea that the what was the, what was the law that changed like eight years ago or something like that 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 made it um it it was it had it had something or other do you know what i'm getting at is it a law oh, around so, like whether or not you can sue a vaccine co- yeah or a company it, making it was vaccine it was basically effective? like the because of the andrew wakefield stuff like a lot of like an, uh, ambulance chasers like you know par- parents with a autistic kid or whatever they like, you know it was at, at a certain point there was no one would go into the vaccine business if they were just going to be sued left and right by 
by everyone because it, and so there was there was some sort of law that took place that that limits the liability of of um, vaccine, vaccine producers. Okay. producers is is the idea. I don't know if you know anything about that. And I don't, don't know anything yeah. about it, but just thinking about the logistics of that argument, it just seems. Like why you, you do lots of things for which you can't sue for liability that are risky all the time. And so like, you know, like the, uh, the, the, these supplements that, I mean, I am, (laughs) I am so, my, my (laughs) listeners are probably like, why does Shane get so worked up about supplements? We should get worked up about some of these things, right? Because there are not the best I, natural food product regulations here and there's ml there are mlms that take advantage of that and, and it's like i quit selling ads on this podcast recently on patreon only just because it's it's the mark there so what they're doing is they're just advertising on comedy podcasts all all the time oh. and, and and so they'll have you know they'll have like uh, and now there's like this whole wave of comedians that are like into MMA and all this kind of stuff. So there's like, there's like the wellness and comedy community and like, and so then it's like anti-establishment and wellness, like intersecting to peddle, uh, snake oil. And then mm-hmm. you have like, look, you know, I, I've sold toothbrushes on here before and it's like, you know, the Quip toothbrush is like has some nice features and then it has features that I don't like. And but I want people to buy the thing. And so you you say the good things about it and then you like kind of leave out the stuff that it's like, well, the, it doesn't vibrate as strong as you'd like or or I don't whatever. like how it squeaks against my teeth. I hate the <laughs> ones that have the rubber on the outside that were like, oh, we're massaging your gums. And well, like, this I, is, I guess. And, and this isn't an ad. I don't sell ads anymore, but legitimately it had, I couldn't understand. It has a, it has a sleek design so that, so that the, you know, where the, the head connects with the brush on electric brushes and yeah, it gets yeah. all filled with crap. Yeah. Well, that doesn't have that because it's just seamless together. And they didn't even put that in the copy for me to advertise. I'm like, guys, this is your number one thing. thing. This is the only reason to have your toothbrush. (laughs) 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 So I I, saw that, but it didn't have that good of a vibration or whatever. It was like, that was everything else is fine about it. The, The point is, is that once money starts coming in, then you have this motivated thing to like, and then it's no longer so then they get host to so now like people trust me right this isn't just like we're interrupting this program for like hey go and check out mcdonald's and it's a mcdonald's like pitching their dumb mcdonald's commercial right people know what the game is you know but but when it's their favorite podcasters and like people that they trust and people that are giving them their push-up advice that changed their life and whatever else <laughs> Like, you you know, all of a sudden, like, you know, you gotta, you gotta watch what you're peddling people, you know? And, and it's just out of control. This push up changed my life. You want a push up that saves your life? Hey, if you feel like doing push ups, do a couple minutes of push ups and don't overthink it too much. (laughs) There, there's a push up that'll save your life from, that's the Shane Moss push up. (laughs) 
So for what it's worth, I'm a fan of the bamboo toothbrush. You know, like there and there's a bunch of different companies that make them. So I'm, I'm not so fancy. This I'm, is this is a we're gonna have to we're gonna need another hour just to get into this. Just to cover that off. Situation. That and like silk. To- so the other thing, just since we're on dental care, um, I'm, so I'm also a fan of. I think it's Raison makes it. It's um it's a French company. They make biodegradable. Okay, so how I got into this is really weird, but they make biodegradable dental floss. So it's just made, it's made out of silk usually. So, um, so if you can get your head around that, um, then it degrades. And the, how I started looking for this was that I was living in New York and there's just an extraordinary number of pigeons with like amputated feet because they get things like plastic, um, things like dental floss, like sharp little plastic string stuff around them. And then the, foot dies and they walk around with like amputated toes and feet so yeah yeah anyway so (laughs) there it is that's my recommendation silk dental floss i'm a mouthwasher i imagine mouthwash is probably not even good for you um and knowing knowing the kind of stuff that gets but um, i i love this stuff i'm addicted to mouthwash um last little thing sure what about what about reinfection so so we talked about trump getting the vaccine in january three months after he had COVID or whatever why uh, what what what's going on with the what the likelihood of uh of reinfection and how soon and what do we yeah know? so it's now been a year since people started getting COVID. there should be like some interesting data on that by now yeah so we have three well-publicized variants we have many more variants but we have three well-publicized variants two of which um pfizer moderna hit pretty well and we know one of them astrazeneca that vaccine doesn't do anything for it so um the astrazeneca vaccine doesn't appear to be effective against the south african variant so understand that there's a whole lot of variants out there that we don't know anything about right now there are dominant variants that we don't know anything about right now, and that's because surveillance hasn't been so great. So we're working on that, and the assumption should be that there will always be variants that can outsmart the vaccine, at least for a little while. Meaning that they, and not even driven by the vaccine. This is just the virus is changing, and it's becoming competitive, and that somewhere there will be a crossover at some point between being competitive and virulent in one way and not matching sequences in the vaccine the other way. So... There's that. We also don't know how long immunity lasts. And we do have, I can think of at least one paper that was published that with well-documented reinfection in a patient, where a patient came in, they took a sample, he had one sequence, and then was sick again, like three months later, different sequence. And so, uh, and distant, like very different, had caught it someplace else. And so... um, every reason to assume that reinfection is on the table for now and so get your vaccine when when it's available to you it's uh good for you good for good for everyone so so this vaccine the vaccine that doesn't work with the new variant which was it again it was astrazeneca so so say you got astrazeneca and now you find out, oh, damn, there's this new mutation around. Uh, the AstraZeneca doesn't work for it. Now, uh, okay, can I? Uh, can they then go and get the Moderna one? And Yeah, so uh, provided you don't have allergies to um, any of the components, 
Uh, so, and these are standard components have had a terrible reaction such that like you went into anaphylaxis with another vaccine of any sort. You could um, take, I was just reading this over in the Johnson and Johnson approval uh, this morning. So you could take Johnson and Johnson, which is targeting, it uses a huge sequence. It's covering the whole of the spike protein um, for a particular variant. And uh, it's what they call prefusion. So it's um, before certain parts of it get sort of like clipped out. And so um, it's a really big sequence. You could take that and layer it on or replace Moderna or Pfizer with it. Um, or the other way around. So provided you're not allergic, you could potentially take and get both. You just want to make sure that they're very far apart from one another um, because one is not going to up the uh, the efficacy of the other. It's just layering efficacy. And so that was the argument that uh, Johnson & Johnson made and the CDC echoed in their emergency use authorization. That's probably also the case for, for AstraZeneca. How... Uh, and, and AstraZeneca did run, is in the middle of running a trial right now looking at whether or not you can take it and layer with Pfizer and get better efficacy because of the four, they are, keep in mind, there's 30 approved vaccines on the international market right now, about 30, a little bit more than that. And there's about 170 in development. So there's many more to come. Uh, but AstraZeneca. Wait, wait, sorry. Can you say those numbers one more time? I, I missed the first. I heard sorry. the 170. There's, you about, say the, the... there's about 30 that are approved and on the global market right now. So Amazing. they're approved by some jurisdiction somewhere. Okay. So, the, but the four that we tend to focus on are the three that are approved in the United States and the one that's, that's, yeah. uh, used in Europe at the moment. So AstraZeneca, uh, they have a trial. The Oxford AstraZeneca vaccine has a trial looking at whether or not you can layer Pfizer on top and what kind of efficacy do you get because AstraZeneca is only approved for prevention of severe infections. It's targeting people age 65 and older. Um, so people over the age of 55, your immune function starts to change. And so people who are in their 60s are producing different numbers of certain immune cells and they're what are called, we call immunosenescing. So um, vaccines work a little bit differently for them. And um, so anyway, there's an interest in seeing if this can be layered. Hmm. Um, right. Yeah. So yeah, you could hypothetically um, take, just provided you take the courses as they're recommended. So for example, it's two jabs for Pfizer and two jabs for Moderna. So you don't do your first jab Pfizer and your second one Moderna. You take your two jabs of Pfizer, and if you're offered yeah. two jabs, you do two jabs of Moderna. I, I think that uh, the new thing that we're going to see, I mean, because because Easter is coming up, and Easter, Easter might have been a concern last year, but it's going to be a bigger concern this year because people are, you know, have quarantine fatigue and everything else, and they haven't they haven't gotten like a really good opportunity to get COVID since the Christmas. So they're missing that. And, <laughs> the weather's and, nice. That's uh, the weather has an impact too, right? Like the weather's warming up. People are tired. Yeah. Yeah. And, and our numbers are high. And the, they're higher than they were last year. And so, uh, um, do you, I mean, that's the other 
people people are getting their first jab and being like, okay, I'm good now. Like I'm getting my second jab coming up soon enough. But but the I think people are starting to loosen up um, quite yeah. a bit and take that. I I really thought I'm like I'm such a fool. <laughs> Humanity makes a fool out of me every time because I keep on believing in it. But I really thought like, oh, there's vaccines. People will just, here's the peak of it. Now people can really see just how bad this thing can be. Now they're going to be like, all right, we can just shape up for long enough to even just to get the people that are going to get a vaccine that are waiting in line for the vaccine to get it and and then start acting like fools again. But um, I I mean, I, I, think the, I think a lot of people are behaving quite well. It's just unfortunate to all of all the people that aren't the twenty percent of people that are not doing the things are it's hard well, to watch it over and over and over again, right? Yeah. And it's hard to watch it when they're so it's one thing if you don't have and there are lots of people like this, right? And um that don't have the means to follow the rules. Mm-hmm. But it's another thing when you've got the means and you're deciding not to. Yeah, it's um, like it's like spring break on Myrtle Beach out there for some people. <laughs> And then all the dumbs are having their run of the town, too. So, like, if you go to a bar, like, the bar is going to be filled with a bunch of other idiots dumb enough to think it's okay to be in a bar right now. So now you're just in this echo chamber of 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 just like-minded people right. probably sitting in there talking about how foolish the rest of us are, yeah, which like, means... Yeah. The only reason why they're protected at all is because everyone else not going into bars and stuff. Right. I mean, and we could point at measles and mumps and polio numbers going up as a as a reason to like, you know, we have a history already that suggests that throwing off cooperative behavior is a bad idea. Right? Like we have that information. Yeah. And so, but yeah. yeah. So I mean, we've got this window now where I think it's really important to emphasize to people what these vaccines have been approved to do. Mm-hmm. And, um, and they're amazing, amazing drugs there. I mean, they're, I mean, I know that's usually reserved for like, it blew my mind, but it's actually like, they are, they are a legitimate, like such an amazing feat of humankind to have been able to produce these vaccines under those time constraints this quickly and get them out to as many people as have been fortunate enough to get them and to continue to be able to do it. Like the, the amount of just even from a technological standpoint, that's amazing, right? Like this thing was unknown in the, at the beginning of December, 2019. And now we have a thing that can kill it. Well, not kill it, but now we have a thing that can, <laughs> now we have a thing that like eases it off. Like we don't, you know, we have this layer of protection we didn't have before. That is awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but there's all this other stuff that goes into it too. Like the number of human bodies that have had to get engaged in just figuring out how to make sure that people have syringes to take the vaccine out of the tubes. Like Japan just started vaccinating healthcare workers two or three weeks ago. And the number one thing standing in their way of doing it is that they didn't have enough syringes. They had all this vaccine and no syringes. But, you know, in other nations, there's been like real work around this and Japan is working this stuff out too. And just like the number of people have had to get engaged to do this, all that cooperation, that's amazing. That should make us very proud. Mm -hmm. But, um, but there's reasons to, so for people who are throwing off the notion of getting the vaccine 
um, because Bill Gates is going to put a microchip in you. There's real work that needs to be done there. But then there are people who have every reason to distrust medical establishments historically. And there's another level of work um, that has to be done there too. And that has to be done like cooperatively with those communities. And so, I mean, that should be also reason to hope is that there's actually attention being paid to this now in a way that it hasn't been paid before. Yeah. Well, that's the other thing that will come up is like the Tuskegee experiments and everything is among like the many other things, right? Like if you, you know, so, um, so, you know, and there could be payoffs for this in terms of whether or not people seek treatment early for suspected breast cancer, whether or not, you know, there's lots of things that disproportionately kill people of color in and and black people specifically in this country every year for which lifelong preventatives um if they were accessible would you know help ease and so um and so just to have effort put behind that like that is so long coming and this is something that may help with that too so i mean i think there's lots of reasons to be hopeful um but better, I mean, it's Wonderful. better to cooperate, right? Yeah, there you go. There's your ending. <laughs> like, let's cooperate and let's be hopeful. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. I love it. Well, thank you so much, Jessica Brankworth, for joining <laughs> me. This was really terrific um, again. And uh, yeah, well, well, let's do another check-in sometime. Yeah, down, absolutely. Down Especially if you, I mean, if you just have something super excited that you're like excited to share or something so you can always just reach out whenever oh, you're oh, yeah, welcome I'd love back to. anytime oh awesome. that's that's awesome i have a lot of fun here so it's it's uh, it was really nice to talk to you terrific nice talking to you okay. and uh thank you listeners for being such wonderful curious people we'll talk with you next week all right everybody well i hope you enjoyed the show I hope it lived up to those unreasonable expectations that I set at the beginning of it. I also hope you like my new studio that I'll be using. This one I was experimenting with a new curtain. And this is this is actually for my new podcast. I got another one coming for Here We Are. I experimented with the curtain during this podcast. Didn't like the way that it looked. Um, so repurposing those for uh, for some other things. Um, and uh, and um, I I just constantly making making some improvements. One of the things that I'm doing on Patreon is I'm doing a focus group for my new podcast uh, with Ramin Nazer, my hilarious artist and comedian friend. Um, and it's awesome. It's all about. Uh, the stuff that I like talking about. A lot of you guys found your way here because you found me on uh, on other podcasts, kind of interjecting science ish talk into conversations. It's a way for me to um, kind of talk a little more kind of philosophically and weaving bigger ideas uh, together in a way that is also with the intention of, of being comedic. And, and uh, Ramin has... Uh, an incredible um, ability to interrupt me in the most hilarious ways uh, and and it's great um, and we have the best conversations we've been talking to each other 
for years and years and years we've been having these philosophical discussions about struggling with work and uh, motivation and purpose and that sort of thing and uh and so we're finally recording them and we've uh, we've uh, uh we're so excited that we're putting a bunch into it we're making a lot of changes studio improvement stuff and um and so i'm going to do a fun little focus group on patreon if you support me on there and uh, go there and follow me even if you don't have the money to subscribe right now i do put some public posts um, which you don't need to be on any tier or anything, public posts, um, like, like this one, um, where you can possibly benefit and maybe even participate, even without being a subscribed Patreon member. So even just for following me on there is, uh, is something, and it's how I, uh, support the show. We're about halfway because I've been putting a little more into this show and, um, and, uh, if you've seen me putting like more um, highlights on Instagram and stuff, that's because I have uh, a little help, which I'm which I'm putting uh, you know a bit more into. So we're halfway on Patreon to paying uh, the the monthly costs of this podcast, and I've gone ad free now, and so I'm I'm a hundred percent supportive uh, supported by. Patreon, so no pressure, but uh, I'll, I'll let you know once I start making a profit off of this show, and uh, and uh, and then um, you'll you'll know that uh, you've done a good job of spreading the word about it and supporting and everything else. So. Anyway, uh, check that out. I'm excited about the new show next week on uh, on the podcast. I'm talking with my uh, my business professor friend Peter McGraw about the book that we wrote together, Stick to Business, which we released last year. It's his book, but I have many sections throughout the book um, uh, where I give little anecdotes um, from the world of comedy, business lessons from the world of comedy. And um, and I'm going to have him back on as a relaunch because he launched it right in the middle of a insane pandemic last year. And we're going to be plugging this. I've been waiting to finalize the details, but now I'll just let you know next week, I suppose. But April 2nd in the morning from uh, from uh, like. I th- actually, I think it's 12 to 4 Eastern on April 2nd. I'm doing my very first Reddit AMA, uh, and it's going to be with Peter McGraw and all about kind of business lessons from the world of comedy and uh, just all of the things that I had to deal with and learn in my 15-year career with a business professor who's learned a lot of business lessons from studying humor. And uh, so I'm pretty excited about that. I have... Uh, I have a cool, uh, I have someone helping guide me through the landscape of Reddit. So going to be doing more AMAs soon. Going to put one together for Psychonautics, um, which is going to be on the 16th of April, uh, pre-bicycle day. Um, so check that out and then hoping to eventually do one with me and Ramin as well, um, 
sometime after our podcast is once we have like several episodes out so people can have enough of a uh, basis for conversation um and yeah and that's everything that i can think of off of the top of my head and i'm sure i'm missing a thousand other things and so uh that you'll just have to hear those next week those of you that listen all the way to the end you are of course my favorites